It has been a couple of weeks that I haven't been able to see you and I miss you. I'm so glad that I was able to trust in two faithful men to study the most difficult part of this book. And I was hoping to find another one because this is actually the hardest one. But I learned that if you think it's going to get better, you're totally wrong. It seems that it's going to be worse every time. But before that, let's, let, us, let us break the ice a little bit. Let me teach you a phrase in Spanish that will be a little bit handy sometimes for you when you talk to your spouse or maybe with your children at home. That phrase is terco como una mula. Can you repeat after me? Terco como una mula. You memorize it. Believe me, you will, you will use it all the time. You know the meaning. Stubborn as a, as a mule. And I mention this because somehow humans, we sometimes can be even more stubborn than a mule. When, when you combine our strong wills, uh, the, the spirit of blindness, the rebellious spirits, and the selfish ambitions, it is a miracle that we were able to turn from ourselves to God and to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because we are very stubborn. We want to do the things a mi manera, like the song. My own way. But how can a righteous God can capture the attention of a wicked world? Well, I'm glad you asked this question because there is one apologist named C.S. Lewis who was wrestling with that question and he tried to give an answer. And I quote, anyone who has watched gluttons shoveling down the most exquisite foods as if they did not know what they were eating, will admit that we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. If you have been following the news lately, the atrocities that this Hurricane Ian has caused in the coast of Florida, you might be horrified. It's unbelievable to contemplate, even, even in those pictures, in those videos, what is going on to the people in Florida and then the other states in the north. The news mentioned several times that the people in Florida and all those places says this is the worst storm ever experienced. And they claim the, 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 this sentence, this, this, this is a cataclysm of biblical proportions because they've never seen something like that. Yet there is nothing divinely special about this natural disaster. All this is part of the natural deterioration of the fallen world 
the broken world that we live in. Everything is a result of the curse of the creation. As first mentioned in Genesis 3.17. Insurance companies call disasters like this an act of God. And you know what? Technically, they're right. Because nothing happens in this world without God's permission. Even situations like that. Not that God caused it, but he allows it. But it's important that we can distinguish between this condition of judgment on creation in general and the most specific judgments that God pours out on a particular people in particular times. Because when the judgment comes directly from God, the results are severe. Through history, if you read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you will find different instances where the Lord is unleashing his wrath to a series of judgments upon the people on the, on the earth. For instance, the people in the time of Noah experienced that. Also, the people who were living in Sodom and Gomorrah the people who were in Egypt when the Israelites were captive there and the Babylonians. And the list could go on and on and on. But these biblical examples called God's judgment, it was just a foreshadow of one ultimate cataclysmic event that will happen in the tribulation period. So why God does this? What is the purpose of these harsh judgments? Why, why is it important that, that some people need to go through the tribulation? The answer to that question is for unbelievers to repentance and to announce to the believers that the day of his vengeance, vengeance revenge, has come. We all experience out of God. I don't know how many of you have been experiencing hurricanes, floods, fires, or any other natural disaster, but the kind of a cataclysmic disaster that we are going to read in Revelation 8 and 9 are unprecedented. If you think that is terrible, that's nothing in comparison what is coming in the future. But my question to you is, before all these things that we're going to be studying, what would be your answer to a message like this? Well, I hope that your answer can be this. Let us respond to God's judgments with all-filled expectation and humble repentance. And that's exactly the outline of the message this morning. Let us respond to God's judgments with all filled expectation. And second, let us respond to God's judgment with all humble repentance. Please open your Bibles in Revelation chapters 8 and 9. And we're going to try to cover as much as we can these two chapters. There's so much to unpack, but at least we can weather fit a little bit with the meanings of these two chapters. Remember what happened 
in the previous chapters. For instance, at the beginning of chapter 8, we saw something in particular. The Lamb, which is Christ, opened the seventh sealed scroll, breaking one seal at a time. He has the authority to do that. And every time that he was breaking one of those seals, something was happening. After opening the first four of those seals, evil forces attacked the earth. When the fifth seal was opened, John sees under the altar believers who were suffered and were killed at the hands of God's enemies on earth. They shout to the Lord, clamoring a prayer in Revelation 6.10 saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? They were saying this prayer. The Lord told them, just wait a little bit longer. Just suffer a little bit more. Until the number of your fellow servants, my fellow servants, who were martyred, can join us here. So when the lamb opened the sixth seal, it seems like he was answering these prayers. Because stars fall from the sky, every mountain and every island was removed from this place, and, and the end of the world was coming to the earth as we know it. Judgment was there. Then in chapter 7, God seals his people, making them a genuine and protecting them from evil, any kind of evil. Nothing will harm. He does not keep them from suffering, though, because they suffer. They were shedding tears, and God was wiping out those tears. But he warranted them that they will be suffered for a little while for his own purposes. Then in chapter 7, we, we see these judgments, and we, we see that they're terrible. And we probably take a little break because there was a, a moment of, uh, of silence, and one of the amazing things about the book of Revelation is not something that you can read as you read in any novel. Sometimes you are in heaven, sometimes you are in earth. Sometimes you are in heaven with the praises, with the loud noises, joyful noises, and then you see the execution of God's judgments on earth. And you need to be careful when you're reading this to see when is when you are in the presence of the Lord through John's vision and when John is contemplating what happened on earth. And these two chapters is telling us what is happening in heaven, what is about to happen at the seventh seal is broken, and how everything will be unleashed on earth. It tells us that there will be silence before the trumpet. In Revelation 8.1, we read, when the lamb broke the seventh seal, on the scroll, there was silence through heaven for about half an hour. It might not sound like a long time when we're talking about eternity, when we're talking about reading the Revelation, but 30 minutes, if we take it literally, is a long time. Normally, this sermon lasts between 30 to 40 minutes. Sometimes it's a little more. Can you imagine? Sitting all here and me in front of you, 
without saying any single thing for the entire time, then you will feel like it's a long time. But what this silence represents, we're not told. Some people, some scholars tell us that this is probably where the Lord make a pause because there were prayers delivered to, to him in front of the altar. So he was listening to the prayers of all the people who had died and all the people who were in earth clamoring for, for vengeance. But we don't know. I believe that in some ways, this is probably what happened when something big is going to happen and you're just waiting. I don't know how many of you have been in places like Six Flags. I, I, I used to love going there when I was younger. And my favorite one and the most hated uh, ride in, in Six Flags was Superman, the free fall. Are you familiar with that? that that's the thing that you, you are trapping that thing, right? And they're keeping you up and going up, up, all the way up to the top. And then nothing happened. And they know they're going to drop you because you've seen it. But that moment when you're waiting for them to drop it, that my heart is almost pounding, coming out from my chest. That moment of waiting is hard. Until they drop us in, ah, something happened. Well, that, that's in some ways what this silence is referring. Something big is going to happen. If you have been in a hurricane, for instance, in a storm, in a hurricane, a as, 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 as strong as, as Ian, the, you, you probably heard about the, the eye of the hurricane. That when the eye is, is there, everything is quiet. Everything is in silence. But it's just for a moment. And then continue with all the turmoil. Something like this is happening. Everything is quiet. Everything is waiting for something to happen. And it's, it's right here when we see that the silence start. Remember, as we mentioned the last time, there is a lot of laughter, there is a lot of praises, there is a lot of uh, prayers in heaven, worshiping the Lord and the Lamb. There is a lot of joyful noises there, and then suddenly, it's silence. How appropriate. When God prepares to in intensify his wrath, every creature is reduced to an open mouth silence. In fact, silence is the only proper response to the imminent judgment. Sophonia 1 7 warns, stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord, for the awesome day of the Lord's judgment is near. John expands that in verse 2, saying, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. To catch the attention of a stubborn, rebellious world, the Lord is about to send some judgment with the purpose of redemption. God wants those who are non-believers to recognize that he is God and they are not. God wants to those who are believers to tell them that he will revenge them. He will avenge them. He will punish the evil. He will destroy the evil once and for all and vindicate them. them. These angels were carrying trumpets. And normally when you see a trumpet, you see an instrument. 
But that trumpet in particular, the Greek word, salpnix, salp, salpinx, that word is not a musical instrument. Actually, this is an instrument used to call soldiers to battle, to proclaim a sacred assembly or call attention to the presence of an important, often a royal person. So these seven trumpets judgment in Revelation 8 and 9 use this kind of trumpet to announce the divine, divine judgment on earth, announcing it. It is worth to notice that the way that these judgments are happening is in a, like in a crescendo. The first set of seven different judgments are terrible, the worst that you can imagine. But then there is a, another seven, another set of seven judgments that are even worse of the first ones. And then there is a third set of seven judgments that are worse of the other two. So it's something like this uh, chart that you're contemplating here. So you have the seals, and the number seven seal opens the new set of judgments with the seven trumpets. We're going to talk today only about the six trumpets, and we're going to leave the number seven for the next time, because that one will open the other set of judgments with the bowls of wrath of God. So it's like every judgment is worse than the previous one. Just to give you an idea of how it's going to unfold, the Lord finally is vindicating his people. So these seven angels who stand in the presence of the sovereign Lord, they call it the angels of the presence of God. They always serve God. They are always, it's a special order of angels, probably archangels, who are there with the purpose of serving God all the time. Let me ask you one question. Have you ever memorized or prayed the prayer that is in Matthew 16, known as the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it in heaven. That's it. This is a kind of prayer that finally will receive an answer when we get to chapter 10 of Revelation. It hasn't been answered yet. Even your ancestors were doing this prayer. Even you have been reciting this prayer. It's a prayer that hasn't been responded yet. You know that God responds all prayers, right? Do you know? All of them. Sometimes he responds yes. Sometimes he says, nope. But the one that nobody wants to listen, that response is when the Lord says, wait. 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 And to respond to this prayer, we have been waiting a long time. But soon, it's going to be answered. Even though these angels are among the most beautiful and powerful of all creatures, their whole existence runs around worshiping the one and true God. If these awe-inspiring beings focus their own, their whole attention into the activities toward God, shouldn't we do the same? Because we give God whatever we got left. We barely 
make time for him during the day. And when we do, we are so distracted that even our prayers are so vague and not reflected upon. But we are seeing here angelic beings whose existence is just dedicated to serve the one and only God. John now informs us that the significance of, of this intercessory prayer that he is referring to in verse 3. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. A great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering to the gold altar before the throne. Some of the scholars believe that this special angel is the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, somehow. Because he is the high priest. He is our mediator. He is the one who is before God the Father representing us, advocating for us. But we don't see it here. So the angel, all what we see is, is given a lot of incense. Incense is, 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 a, is a costly aromatic substance made of gums and spices. So expensive at that time. Remember that was one of the gifts that was presented by the Magi? Those, those Magi from, from, the, from the east, they, they were coming to see the Lord Jesus Christ, and they offer three gifts. One of those is, is incense. In the Old Testament, incense is, is used as a symbol of how the Lord enjoys the prayer of his people. Normally, when the prayers were presented, there was a, there was a recipient with a lot of coils, and they were putting this kind of resin over there. And, and then there was smoke coming from the bottom to the top. And that was a symbol of the Lord is accepting. It's a, it's a fragrant aroma for him. Let me tell you something. Currently, the most expensive fragrance or perfume ever sold for $1 million dollars is that DKNY Golden Delicious, the one that you see in this picture. One million dollars. Because the bottle contains nearly 3,000 precious stones between sapphires, rubies, and diamonds. So in the process to, to make this one bottle is 1,500 hours. Just to complete it. Yet, God's perfume is far more fragrant and costly than this one. That is exactly what this represents for all of us. The way that God values the prayer of his people, your prayers. The way that he accepts those prayers. Wait a minute, my prayers? Oh my goodness, then at some point, that incense will be contaminated with my prayers. Sometimes it's very selfish prayers that I pray. Things that I want. Not that I need. Not that I don't know if the Lord wants that for me. But even those selfish prayers are present before the holy throne of God. And one day, each one of those prayers will be answered. So the next time that you wonder, why pray? What is the use? God doesn't listen. He does. 
The way that he will respond might not be what you're expecting, but he will. This is the prayer. So the angel was given so much incense, and he mixed that incense with the prayers of his people, God's people. And then when he carried that one, the prayers mixed, they throw it into the earth. And that's when the judgments start to happen. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar, and the angel has poured them out. Verse number five. Then the angel filled the incense burner with a fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth. And thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. So San Andreas will be nothing in comparison with what will happen later in Revelation 8. When all the prayers will be answered, and the prayers, like I read to you previously, were asking for God to put an end into the evil and the wickedness of this world. And this is exactly what is happening right here. There seems to be a connection between the prayers that go up and the judgment that come down. So the same censor that carries these prayers up to God is deep down into the altar and then throw it to, toward the earth. So following this sinister silence in heaven and the resounding warning for the, from the angel's trumpet blast, God deliberately responds to those prayers. John Philip writes about the prayer. He says, what a potent force is prayer. The saints go into their bedrooms, close the doors, kneel down and pray. They spread out before God their petitions and God hears. The prayers are placed into the scales of judgment. Preliminarily rumbling are heard. Presaging the great upheavals soon to take place. In summary, God responds to the prayers of his people by pouring out the first four trumpet judgments on unbelieving world. Then the seven angels, verse 6, with the seven trumpets prepared to blow the mighty blast. So first we see that God expects that worship through prayer, through silence, to an unfilled silence, recognizes that he is God that we are not. Then we hear about the sounding of the trumpets, and we see the different trumpets. And we're going to do it really fast. The first trumpet, the first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down to the earth. One-third of the earth was set on fire. One-third of the trees were burned. And all the green grass was burned. The first judgment was upon the air. Was upon the every, every nature, every tree, every shrub, every vegetation. That's the first thing. Remember that those prayers were in the altar before the Lord. And that altar has four horns. Representing every corner of the earth. And we understand that when we talk about the corners of the earth, we're talking about Earth, water, air, and then the lights. 
on the sky. All those are involved here in the judgment. This is no doubt it will decimate all the crops in the forest. All the smoke, all the ash, ashes that will be coming out from that. This is the first judgment. And it's not directly aimed to the human beings. It's just affecting all the food supplies and the global economy will collapse instantly. There will be no solution. There will be no government aid that can help the humanity at the time. The second trumpet. Then the second angel blew his trumpet and great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One third of the water of the sea became blood. One third of the all the living things in the sea died, and one third of the ships on the sea were destroyed. In some ways, it was like, a, like, a, um, like an asteroid that was coming from heaven and landed in the middle of the water. And it was with any substance that somehow the water was contaminated. And that impact that he made with the water, it caused all the, the, the boats, all the ships who were there basically to sink with the tsunami that was causing at that time. As you notice, the first trumpet, the second trumpet, were kind of um, mimicking the, the, the different plagues that were happening in Egypt when, the, when Moses was performing those, those things, when the Lord was sending those plagues for the liberation of his people, God's people. Here we say the same thing in Exodus 17. The third trumpet sound. And the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell one-third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, or bitterness. It made one-third of the water bitter, and made people die from drinking, drinking of this water. These waters were contaminated, rendered as fatal for those who drink it. And then we see the first trumpet also happening here. The first angel blew his trumpet, and one-third of the sun was struck, and one-third of the moon, and one-third of the stars, and they became dark. And one-third of the day was dark, and also one-third of the night. So those places in the area hit hardest by, by these plagues. We have already lost power and deteriorated into desperation. So add natural darkness to this situation, to what's happening. So it's chaotic. It's hard. It's terrible. We cannot conceive, we cannot imagine. There are so many speculations, but just imagine the four different things that, that help us to, to live in this world will be damaged. At least one third will be destroyed. But that's not all. Verse 13 says that someone like an eagle, crying loudly, flew through the air, saying, terror, terror, terror. Or like you say in English, whoa, whoa, whoa. To all who belong to the world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. So if this is not enough, chapter 9 tells us about two more of these trumpets. That is worse. Because first, everything was happening on earth. But now the next two trumpets will affect humanity, humankind. And this is exactly what happened. Because Satan wants to harm humankind. In verses 9 to 12, we found it. We see how this first 
fifth trumpet happened. The angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from earth from the sky. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Some people say it was Satan. But why God will give the key to Satan and to open all the demons who are trapped inside the abyss? This is probably a good angel. Somebody who has a key. And you know who has the key of death and life. As soon as the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, John watched a star falling from or descending from heaven. This angel was given the key to the shaft of the bottom's pit or the abyss. That's the final destination of those who are going to be eternally condemned. So it's important as we read this not to lose focus on the important things. Everything that will happen with these evil creatures that we will describe, they were given those things. They didn't took them. So even them were given permissions to do what they did for a time. They give, was given the keys of the abyss. So through Revelation, God is the only one who has the authority. And even the evil forces will submit to him. Because God can use even evil spirits to accomplish his purposes. In verse 2, we read that the angel opened the shaft of the bottom pit and the smoke poured out through, the, through that from a huge furnace. And the sunlight and the air turned dark from the smoke. Smoke in Revelation is always related to judgment, to torment. And then with the smoke, something else came out. They were told that they were so weird creatures like a locust. But they have a tail like a scorpion. And it's described here in many ways that they have some monstrous appearance. Notice that these demons are not called scorpions. It's like a scorpion. It's like a locust. What John is referring to here is this. Power was given to them to torment like a scorpion. So the word power means authority, permission. It may appear at first that this swarm is completely out of control, but remember, they were doing what they were doing because they were allowed to do it. So this locust-like demonic swarm is given power to inflict excruciating pain and damage. They were told not to harm the grass, the plants, the trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain, like the pain of a scorpion sting. So these four limitations are placed here. They cannot hurt earth vegetation. I mean, remember, only one third was gone. Still they got over three thirds. They cannot hurt the 144,000 who God got sealed. They cannot kill anyone, and they cannot torment longer than five months. That's what they needed to focus. So in those days, people would seek death. They want to die because they will be stung by the scorpions or like creatures. They will prefer to die. They want to commit suicide, but they, they will not die. They're just going to be 
with so much pain. So these locals look like horses prepared for battle. They have what looks like a gold crowns in their heads and their faces look like human faces. They had hair like women's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore an armor made of iron that stung like scorpions. And for five months, they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is, in Hebrew, is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. Do you sense how the things are getting worse every time and getting worse for those who don't know the Lord during this period of time of the tribulation? So many scholars probably think that this is kind of a, our modern helicopters, but it's not like that. It's something demonic. It's something out of this world, supernatural. So the first war is past, but two more are coming. But with all that, even Satan wants to harm God's people, or at least the humanity. God wants the humanity just to humble. He wants to humble so they can come to him. And he can humble those who doesn't believe in him. So the sixth trumpet, the angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stand in the presence of God. And the voice said that the sixth angel who held the trumpet released the four angels who are bound in the great Euphrates River. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of the people of the earth. I heard the size of their army, which is more than 200 million mounted troops. So the angel of death will unleash absolute carnage among the people who are enemies of God, who didn't trust the Lord. So John says, in my vision, I saw the horses of the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armors that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses had heads like a lion, lions, and fire and smoke and burning sulfur below it from the mouth. One third of all the people of earth was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the burning sulfur that came from the mouth of the horses. Their power was in their mouth and their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. So we read this in all these fantastic images that the, the only thing that I'm thinking is, is remember Alien, the movie? It's the only thing that comes to my mind. Because probably Spielberg uh, was reading this chapter and he was just getting the ideas from here. But the important thing is to see what is the progression of these judgments inflicted upon the humanity who they don't want to recognize God as the Lord. They want to stand for their own. So there is something that will happen to them. And this is precisely what we see on them. Verse 19 says, but the people who did not die in this, through, through these plagues still refused to repent of the evil deeds and turn to God. They continue to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. 
and they did not repent of their murders, of their witchcraft, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And we wonder why there is a lot of people who don't want to trust God in our days. Even in those days when they see all these horrible things, the pride just to make themselves a God will take them apart from being humble. And God wants to humble them. And it's precisely that these judgments are made for them. So they can bend the knee and recognize Jesus as the Lord and Savior. There is no evidence in the Bible, says Donald Barnhouse. There is no evidence in history. And now there is no evidence in prophecy which will indicate that men have ever been brought to God in great numbers during the tribulation. One third of the race may die, but the other two thirds do not, for that reason, move toward God. Reluctantly, we are forced to accept this verdict. Romans 3, 11, there is none that is just. There is none that seek after God. So we reflect on all this. And I know there is so much information that we cannot unpack. But I'm happy to share my notes with you. <laughs> I'm terrified just to see, just to imagine. The good news is the next event in God's calendar is a rapture of the church. Meaning those who have trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, they will not be here experiencing these horrible things. Then why we need to study these things if we're not going to be here? We're going to be happy with the Lord. Well, because the Lord wants others to know what you know already. Amen. The Lord wants some of you to understand that it's important that others can come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. The Lord wants as possible if everybody can be saved. But the reality is that's not going to happen. So I don't know what is your condition right now before the Lord. I don't know if you are a Christian. Maybe you are um, somebody who is just curious about Christianity and you're here. If you are not a believer, everything that I just described for you, be ready because it's exactly what you're going to experience. But if you are a Christian, then... Good news, you're not going to experience that, but you have a responsibility today because you still have believers, unbelievers at home, unbelievers at work, unbelievers at school, people that you say you love and care, and they need to know that only in Christ there is hope. Only Christ can be the way for us to escape from all these terrible things. There's more to come. And like any good miniseries, just stay tuned because more horrors are coming. But I want to invite the worship team so we can, we can do something in particular today. One of the things that I really enjoy in the first chapter, in chapter 8, is the value that God places to prayer. And in the last few weeks, you have been experiencing what we are trying to do here in our church. We are consciously 
intentionally put in prayer front and center together with the study of the scriptures because we need to pray for one another. Are you encouraged to know that God values your prayer? That considers your prayer better than the precious stones? God might be silent sometimes waiting to hear your prayer. And as you listen to this song, I will invite you, I will invite you to, to surrender yourself to him. I will invite you to surrender your life to him. I will invite you to surrender your will to him. Put aside your pride. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. And this is, this is the emphasis in today's call to prayer. Let's call to repentance. It might be something that the Holy Spirit will tell you that you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Repent. Repent and come back to the Lord.